everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Break. I am Father Roderick, podcasting on a day that is just way too hot to do anything, let alone sit behind a microphone and wearing these very, very warm headphones. But I'm here for you. I just want to be here for you. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons. I want to really thank all of you that support me on a monthly basis with your micro donations and with your support and ideas in our Discord server. You get access to the Discord community if you join the Patreon community. So go over to patreon.com slash fatherroderick for more information. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I've got a brand new morning routine. Um, I already had a morning routine, which consists of waking up first, and then going outside and uh, get a little bit of sunlight and drink a cup of coffee, take a cold shower and have breakfast. And that would be the start of my day. But I've added something. I think that really works for me to this uh, to this morning routine, and that is gardening. Um Ever since I read The Lord of the Rings, I've been I've been attracted to this, of course, fictional world of of the Hobbits of the Shire, and um, if they would do an entire movie or an entire trilogy that would just be about Sam Gamgee gardening, because he's the he's the gardener for uh, for Frodo and used to be for for Bilbo also, um, so he's he's tending. Uh, to the garden around Bag End in the footsteps of his father uh, called Ham Gamgee. So it's Ham and Sam. <laughs> um, I would watch that trilogy. I, I, I don't need to go to Mordor. I don't need to go and see the elves. I just want to be in the Shire and, and, and watch hobbits do their hobbity thing because it, 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 it appeals to something very deep down inside uh, a longing to be like hobbits, especially kind of the calmer parts of their lives. I'm not talking about going on on big adventures, destroying rings and, and trying to, uh, to steal from dragons. But the hobbit life is always something that has attracted me. And that desire to live like a hobbit became even stronger after visiting the movie set or what remains of the movie set in New Zealand, in Matamata. I've been there twice. The first time is, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe? Um, when they had just wrapped filming The Lord of the Rings and uh, there, was no, there was no plan to do anything with The Hobbit. And so they just removed all the, all the decor, uh, all the, the, the fronts that they built very cheaply back then for, for Hobbiton. But when they filmed The Hobbit, they reconstructed the entire village. And uh, this time they did it with stone, with, you know, quality um, materials so that it could remain in place after the movies uh, would wrap. And you can still visit that place today. It still looks exactly like what you see in, in the movie. The only thing that has changed a little bit is the big party tree because of... Um, climate problems and and drought uh, and and some and and I think there was a storm that 
party tree that you see in the movies has been damaged quite a bit, which, you know, in, in, in the chronology of, of the Lord of the Rings actually doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't pose a problem because, as you know, it's not in the movies, but it is in the, in the books, uh, the party tree gets destroyed. Uh, during the the battle uh, in, in uh, around the Shire or the sacking of the Shire, I think it's called, and so they plant a new tree. Um, so the, the maybe you could you could, they can weave that into the story of when they show people around there on set. Anyway, long story short, I always dreamt of living living a bit like a hobbit myself, and so. I've started to um, to do some gardening early in the morning. It was also because, you know, I knew I knew that for to wake up and to get energized for the day, um, getting sunlight on your face, like direct sunlight, not sitting, uh, uh, you know, behind a window or in front of a lamp. Of course, in the winter, sometimes you can only do that. But uh, if if there is sunshine outside, make sure to go outside for t- 10, 20 minutes. Um, which will then start to wake you up um, and um, and energize you, and and a lot of people that recommend this practice go for a walk or go for a run. My problem is I I already do a lot of running later uh, during the day, um, but but not before I get my breakfast, and so I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to overdo it too much in terms of, uh, you know, walking, running, etc. So I figured, you know, I might as well just go do some gardening. And so what I did first was I bought a couple of big pots and some herbs. You know, these fresh herbs, they they cost about 150, 160. And usually those herbs, um, even though they come in a, in a pot, uh, you, you're supposed to use them right away, and they don't last very long. They always would die on me, and that is because usually the pot is way too small, plus the, the, all the nutrition in the earth that it comes with has already been used up by the plant uh, to be presentable in the store. So the moment you buy it, there is not much in that pot anymore that can nourish the plant in the long run. And so what I did was I repotted all those uh, those plants. Um, I grew a ton of basil. I mean, I, I can start a, a basil business by now. I've, I've <laughs> literally, I think, like ten pots of basil, um, and it's it's just a lot of fun to um, to tend to the basil and and um, uh, prune it and 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 now these tiny little basil plants that I multiplied have grown into big big bushes of basil. So that's really good for all my Italian cooking. Um, but I also have rosemary and thyme and chives and mint and uh, f- some other herb that I forgot. And so a lot of these herbs are outside in, in, in like on the patio of my, um, or patio, patio, little like stone, stone square in front of my, in, in my back, back, backyard. Um, and so I watered them, I pruned them. And then, um, I have a lot of grass around uh, the house. Uh, the garden itself is super simple in a in certain way. It is, um, it's like an L shape around the house. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's bordered by, um, by a hedge. Um, and 
for a long time, I've 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 thought of of changing the garden because the hedge itself is very straight and the grass is it's just grass. It's and it's it hasn't been maintained very well over the past I would say ten years, and so the grass itself is old and there are like dry patches. And the worst thing is there's a ton a ton of um, there are a ton of weeds growing in the grass, and that has multiplied over the years because they would just mow it, um, which then would just uh, spread the seeds of the weeds even more over over the, the terrace. And so, um, like a week ago, I saw that there were like hundreds of flowers growing in the grass. And I know that they last for a week and then they start to form these seed pods, which then will start to spread over the entire garden. So I realized I cannot change the entire garden right now. Uh, that's that's maybe for next year or maybe towards uh, in the fall when when it's better to, to do gardening and plant new plants. But right now, I need to make sure to get the weeds out. So I bought myself a what they call a weed puller. I have no gardening experience whatsoever. So all my knowledge, I just Googled it. Couldn't even, I, I, I did a scan for Sam uh, uh, Gamgee in, in The Lord of the Rings on my Kindle in, in the hopes that maybe I would find some Lord of the Rings gardening tips. But no, it's there's just this passage that he is working in the garden. I think he's... he's um, He's cutting the hedge at when he overhears the conversation between Gandalf and, and Frodo. And that, of course, is how he gets implicated in the story because Gandalf pulls him inside and, and is like, what did you hear? And, and, and the rest is history, or the rest at least is Middle-earth history. Um, but I got myself a weed puller, which is um, a, like a, a pole with on the, at the end... Uh, there is um, a metal like grip and, and you push it into the ground. You have to aim for the center of the, of the weed because the, the, the flowers uh, in my garden, they, they have very long, almost like, like carrot-like weeds, uh, uh, carrot-like um, uh, uh, roots. <laughs> That's the word that I was looking for. And if you if you just cut off the the flowers, the roots will then uh, uh, grow into new flowers the next or new plants the the year after. So I wanted to make sure that I got all the roots out. And we're talking about. At first, I thought you know this will probably take me a couple of days. I've been doing this every morning for more than a week now, and I'm still not done. I think I must have removed more than a thousand plants. So the grass itself is now full of holes where the roots would be, where these plants would be over time, of course, when it starts to rain and all that will, will even out. But man, what a, what a work. But I do this every morning for about half an hour. I just go into the garden on my bare feet, so like a hobbit, and then I just pull out all these, these weeds and it has an amazing effect on me. Um, one thing that it helps me do is to not browse the internet for half an hour. That's normally what I would do. I wake up. I first thing I look at is my feeds 
on, on my iPad or on my phone. And then I just scroll and I read the news articles. I listen to a podcast while I'm uh, making my coffee. Um, when I'm in the garden, I can't do that. So I'm just hearing the birds. I feel the sun. I smell the grass. Um, sometimes there are birds or like these um, black birds with their yellow beaks. And they're very um, used to seeing me in the garden so they get very close because every time i uproot those weeds they're checking if there are worms there if there's anything to eat and then they will also uh walk around the the like the piles of of, of weeds and they'll just search for insects there and and so it, it's funny i talk to the birds like a bit what 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 um saint francis was doing i'm not preaching to the birds but you have conversations like hey buddy how are you doing today uh, have you already sung something today or are you planning on doing that after you had your breakfast here? <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. It's very grounding and it also helps me after a while because the, the, the removal of the weeds is a very repetitive pro process. You get into this kind of this trance and I start to, well, trance, that sounds a bit esoteric, but it's very calming and I, I start thinking about my day, what am I, what's on my calendar right now and I think about projects, I sometimes even think about uh, things I need to write down or podcasts that I want to make or videos that I'm working on and, and all the while I'm just working with my hands and after about half an hour, um, usually I just get tired and the sun starts to rise above the buildings on the other side of the road and so the as as soon as the sun starts to hit the grass i have to get out there because we're currently in a heat wave and i don't want to get roasted before before breakfast and then i i just you know make some coffee and um and then i go take a cold shower i love my cold showers i'm totally i'm going to talk about cold showers later on in the book section because i i've been reading a book by mr iceman as they call him here in the netherlands wim hof and he has a method which is a combination of breathing exercises and cold showers or, or even ice baths. I don't have ice bath. I don't have a bath. So I take cold showers. And it took me a week, but I'm totally used to that now. And I love it. And it totally energizes me. And then I get my breakfast and I'm ready for the day. And that keeps me going until the, the evening. I no longer have these drops in energy that I used to have for months uh, I'm super energized. Even if I haven't been able to sleep for eight hours because of the, the heat, it's very warm, and I I always have trouble sleeping when it's warm. But despite only having had like between six or seven hours of sleep, I'm still super energized for the rest of the day. So it, it's fun to start my day like a hobbit. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine, I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm gonna give it to you. There is a lot of Star Wars news that we need to talk about this week. But before I do that, I briefly want to give you a few uh, short reviews of stuff that I've been watching on, on TV, on the streaming platforms. First of all, I finished uh, watching Succession. And I've, I've uh, briefly talked about Succession um, a couple of weeks ago when I started watching this. I, I finished all four seasons and I am blown away. Um, as I mentioned 
in the first time I, I talked about this show, it's definitely not for kids. It's a very tragic story, but also there's a, a lot of swearing. I mean, you, I learned so much new vocabulary. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> and there's a lot of other morally objectionable stuff because this is not a, a, a story about nice people. This is a story about extremely damaged people with, with very loose and questionable morals. But what I enjoyed so much about this uh, about this series is it shows you why people are behaving the way they are and how much the father in the story, Rob Roy, who is this media mogul, is kind of like a Murdoch-like uh, billionaire who uh, runs a media empire, um, how his attitudes towards his kids... I mean, he was probably a brilliant businessman, but he was a lousy father... And, and so his kids have all been very damaged by that. And the show is about um, their father being in the last phase of their lives. It's a, this battle for a succession. Who is going to be the next boss of this media empire? And, and then these kids, even though they grew up together, they suffered the same, the same, uh, the, the same maltreatment. And, and not, it wasn't just their father, it was also a, a mother that enabled that and also just really didn't care for her kids. Um, how these, these children um, often repeat the same behavior because it's the only thing that they know. They grew up in a world where it was very cutthroat. And so, um, but, the, but the writing is so good and the acting is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Uh, I've been listening to uh, the official podcast uh, where they interview um, the actors, the writers, the directors. Um, and what struck me was how much of the series was improvised. So they give the actors like the general outline of the scene. This is what you need to talk about. These are the points that you need to hit story-wise. But otherwise, we're not going to feed you lines. Just go with it. And um, a, a couple of these actors are, 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 you know, method actors. So they become the person that they play. And that also evokes very genuine reactions from the other actors. And so it's, it's, it feels like you're not watching actors. You're, you're, you're watching something that happens. It's so real and it has so much emotional punch. It is... In it's definitely a tragedy. It does have a lot of levity as well. There's a lot of humor in there. Um, sometimes very dark humor, but but nevertheless, it is sometimes almost a comedy. Um, it's got a little bit of that, also that cringe factor where, where where people are like, "Oh, please don't, don't do that, don't." Oh no, no, no! Like what you have sometimes when you're watching The Office, <laughs> um, and. Uh, but but ultimately, in its core, it is a tragedy, and it's also a moral tale. Even though it's very immoral, <laughs> the behavior of all the characters is very immoral. It does ask a lot of questions to me as a viewer. You know, what is life about? What do you actually live for? What good is it, as the Bible says, to gain the world and to lose your soul in the process? You know, that is what this series shows it's how miserable life can be if you only live for money and for success and 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 that it's usually not just your own misery but you are hurting so many people around you and how different could it be if these rich people would use their wealth for the good 
but they can't because they've only been taught to be selfish and to look out for themselves and always be on their guard. Uh, brilliant series. Um, the only series that comes any anywhere close to the quality of, of Succession, I think, would be um, uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, Breaking Bad was my all-time favorite TV series. Um, but I think it has been dethroned by Succession. That is how good it is. It's four seasons. Um, if you can stomach it and... If you can get through the first two episodes, which are, I, I mean, I, there were moments where I was like, I don't think I want to watch this. It's a bit like, like Game of Thrones, like the first season of Game of Thrones. It's like there's so much violence, so much nudity, and it's all, and it's only later on that it starts to become much more balanced, and you realize that maybe they went overboard a little bit in the beginning, and it becomes really good, but. Um, but definitely, um, I, I would recommend this. Uh, it, it is uh, one of the best television series I've ever seen. So that was Succession. Tip number two, um, I watched a movie on, I think it was on Amazon Prime, because uh, they have this list of, of movies that are about to disappear. Um, so I'm not sure if it's currently available on any of the streaming platforms, but I did watch it, and I'm so happy I did. It's called Darkest Hour. Um, it's about the life of Winston Churchill. It's about his early days as Prime Minister of the UK during the Second World War when he has to um, step step up after a cabinet crisis. And um, Churchill himself is played by an unrecognizable Gary Oldman, who, of course, is in so many amazing movies. I mean, he is... Uh, uh, he's Harry Potter's godfather. He's he's the big villain in in the Fifth Element. If you've ever seen that movie, it's one of my favorite science fiction movies. Um, here he is, Churchill. The makeup, the I don't know, the prosthetics. I don't know how they do it, but also his accent, his behavior. It is. Uh, there's not a single moment where I thought that is Gary Oldman, which I normally have very quickly with uh, well-known actors. No, this guy is Winston Churchill. He got a, an Academy Award for this role, and deservedly. He should have had two, just because it's that good. The story is also good. It's just about a very small part of his life, but um, a very important one, and one that really illustrates what kind of man he actually was, full of con uh, contradictions. Um, not at all a hero. He's a very courageous man, someone who was extremely good with words. He was also a very accomplished writer and historian. Um, but at the same time, someone with a lot of flaws and, and who actually admitted those flaws and admitted that he was afraid and admitted that he didn't know what to do. But he did it anyway. And without Winston Churchill the war would have ended it probably in a very, very different way. So, amazing, amazing movie. Um, all right, now, uh, before we go to Star Wars, one last thing. Tonight is Star Trek Night, because it's the first new episode of Strange New Worlds, my favorite Star Trek series right now. And the second season has just begun. And so tonight I'm going to watch uh, the first episode. I cannot wait. I love that crew. I love those stories. But 
Let's talk Star Wars because there's so much news. Of course, if you've uh, if you're following me on YouTube, you may have seen my uh, initial reaction to the gameplay trailer, or well, actually, I should say the the cinematic trailer, because I didn't have time to record something about the gameplay that was shown the day after. But I I reacted to the gameplay trailer for a brand new open world Star Wars game called Star Wars Outlaws. It is looking so good. It is a very vast game. Um, it is um, uh, a story about uh, a young woman who is um, a bit like a rogue character, maybe a bit like Han Solo. So she's stealing from the Empire. She's, but she's not morally compromised. She she tries to survive, and so she has to constantly um, choose her allegiances, and she also has to. Of keep her reputation in check. If she doesn't, then you know everybody's going after her. It's a dangerous world, um, and she has this small alien animal as a companion, which of course is something very Star Wars like. It's usually either a small droid, like the the, the small um, what's his name? Um, gosh, B two? No, I, that's the other droid uh, of Cal Castus in the Fallen Order and the Jedi Survivor games. Uh, and in, here it's a it's a cute uh, alien, um, and the whole thing looks incredibly cinematic. The the um, the way you move from a cutscene to the actual game is completely flawless. You don't realize that, and, and they did this very well also in the game uh, Hogwarts Legacy, where um, the 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 cutscenes are amazing. They look like you're watching a movie, and then they just like all of a sudden you're you're wait a minute now I can move forward I am in this game uh, graphically it stays very consistent um, what a, what a what a progress I, I remember cutscenes in games always being like these renders these CGI renders and then you would go uh, to the actual game and it would look so primitive compared to the renders now we're at a time when computer graphics are so good that you do not see the difference between what is rendered and the real game this will only get better over time but it's amazing um and it's a very even though it's an open world story it still has a, a an overall storyline it's a you know only you can only play this solo there's no co-op there's no multiplayer um and just like in in the Calcastus games, um, you don't get to create your own character. Um, you have to, you you are playing this young woman, and you follow her, and you see her also on the screen and in the cutscenes. It's a very deliberate story choice. However, this is also uh, contentious for a small, hopefully small group of Star Wars. I don't call them fans. Star Wars people. Star Wars, I don't know, just Star Wars hater. They definitely, there was this whole cloud of negativity of people complaining on YouTube and on TikTok and on Instagram, like, why do I have to play a woman? Why can't I just be a guy? And I mean, she's not even pretty. And why can't I'm just like imagining the voice of these people. I don't know if they talk like that, but that's how they come across in my mind. It's like, seriously, it's 2023 and you're protesting because you are forced to play a female character? What kind of planet do you live on, really? 
the empire is more open than, than, than these people are. And it's, it's misogynistic. It is, uh, it's spiteful. I think with the YouTubers, there's definitely also, uh, they know that negativity sells, and that, so it's uh, to a certain extent also clickbait. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, but there are so many games where you play a character that you don't get to choose. I mean, think of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. You play this this uh, female protagonist. If you want to play like a, a muscular guy, then then play God of War or play. Uh, if you want to play a, a, like a, a a man in the Star Wars universe, go go play Jedi Survivor. But why why are you mad that the main character of this game is a woman? Like, play another game. Like, I, I'm not going to complain. I'm not reading The Hobbit. And it's like, well, I'm, this is a disappointing book. I mean, why is... Why is Gandalf a guy? I mean, why can't it be a witch? Well, why isn't it a, a woman? You know, I don't want to read this book anymore. Or, or something else like that, you know. It, it's... It's so stupid. It's <laughs> that's why I, I have a hard time considering these people uh, as, to be Star Wars fans because this is so not what Star Wars stands for. Okay, end of my rant. <laughs> but I'm super excited about that game. Um, second bit of news: Vivian Lyra Blair, who plays uh, young Princess Leia in. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the television series, has done an interview in which she is pitching an entire television series about young Princess Leia. And you know what? I was reading that, and I'm thinking, yes, they should go with this. They should do a series about young Princess Leia on Alderaan. And that doesn't have to have Obi-Wan Kenobi in it. In fact, Lyra herself admits, or, or I should say Vivian herself, um, admits that that, would, that wouldn't be logical because we know that the moment she says goodbye to Obi-Wan Kenobi in the final episode of the first season, uh, I'm still saying first season because I'm hoping there will be, be a second season of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, that is... Her f the final moment that she sees Obi-Wan Kenobi, the next time she'll talk to Obi-Wan Kenobi, she'll be in the hologram, and she'll like, you, you helped my father in the Clone Wars, and you're our only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So she knows that it, it's not probably not going to happen that she will be in, in the second season of, uh, of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But why not do an Alderaan series? Maybe even gear it towards a younger audience. I think you have an actress that is willing, that is very talented. Um, you ha already have introduced her in the Star Wars canon. You, you probably also created a lot of backgrounds. You may be able to get the other actors that we saw uh, on Alderaan involved in this. And, and there are a ton of stories that you could tell with that character. I think it's a brilliant idea. So I'm hoping that they'll go for it. Vivian Blair, I want to see her back as Princess Leia. Um, uh, she also touched briefly upon this big question that a lot of Star Wars fans are asking over and over again. Will we get a second season of Obi-Wan? And uh, Vivian says, honestly, I, I think that's still possible because, and then she says, Ewan McGregor is just 
begging to do another one. He's really excited. So that's another confirmation that Ewan McGregor is actively pursuing a second season of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, in what universe wouldn't you want to work again with Ewan McGregor? In what universe wouldn't you want to replicate the tremendous success of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the television series? We know that it has been a very big success for, for, for Disney in terms of viewership. Why wouldn't you do a second season? There is so much possible. The only reason that I think that Kathleen Kennedy has been saying that, yeah, what's well, right not, it's an, it's an, there's nothing in active development. She chooses her words very precisely. It's not in active development that term can cover a lot of things she doesn't say no we're not going to do that no not anytime soon no it's not an active development active development would mean pre-production it would mean that people are writing this that artwork is being developed that the, you know they're planning for the production no but it doesn't mean that, that, that they're they haven't got this somewhere on the calendar that they want to do this they're going to do this. I am convinced that they are going to do a second season because it, it's just a golden opportunity for them. And it's it's fleeting. It's not something you can just postpone uh, and do this 10 years for, from now because then even McGregor will be older than Alec, Alec Guinness was when he played Obi-Wan Kenobi. So you have to do it within the next couple of years. And I think they should. They've got Hayden involved um, they've seen how much the fans love Hayden and Ewan McGregor at the last Star Wars celebration. I mean, it's it's just a no-brainer, and it's I'm excited that uh, that young Vivian uh, is is bringing that up. I I even hope that she brings it up on purpose. That this is one of the ways in which Disney's PR machine is keeping that hope alive, and they're just looking at the reactions of the fans. So here's my reaction, Disney. Go for it. I almost said make it so, but I won't, out of respect for Star Wars. <laughs> um, third bit of news about Star Wars. We know that there's going to be a Star Wars movies about the early origins of the Jedi. Not necessarily about the Jedi, but definitely about the first people who discover how they can use the Force. And we also know that that movie has a director attached to it. And that is none other than the director of the new Indiana Jones movie, James Mangold. He is super excited about being attached to a Star Wars project and to do something that is so different from anything Disney has done before and Lucasfilm has done before. He actually didn't expect them to accept this proposal that he had uh, because Star Wars was always trying to fill in the gaps and to move forward. So he felt that, yeah, they probably want me to do a movie about what happens next in the Star Wars galaxy. But he made a pitch, nevertheless, to go way back in time and to tell a story about how the Force came about. Well, maybe the Force has always been there, but definitely how uh, this, this, these Jedi teachings and the books that we've seen, uh, it, first of all in Luke's cave, and then later on we know that Rey brought those books with her um, at the end of um, uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker, that those early teachings come from the, let's say, like the Old Testament in 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 the Jedi verse. So, so 
I think it's a, an amazing idea to tell a story that is not necessarily told with the same vocabulary as the current Star Wars stories. There will not be droids in there. There won't be Jedi and no lightsabers. But there will be the Force. And to see where this comes from and maybe also to see this, to, to create a Genesis story. You know, what, what is Genesis in the Bible? It's a story, or actually we have multiple versions of the creation story. Those were, of course, not written at the time when God created the universe. Um, but they were written uh, a, a couple of thousands of years ago to explain why the world is the way it is, how evil came about, what the role of God is in all that, and what our purpose is in this in this creation. And so I think it makes total sense in a franchise that is supposed to be modern mythology to also spend time setting up this mythology, telling the origin story of this mythology, go back to the early days of the Force, and that will give them carte blanche um, when it comes to depicting that world. And, and so it, it can generate a ton of, of new characters and environments and, and story threads. And I love the idea that we're going to get something something very new, something we've never seen before. This is even better than the High Republic or the Old Republic because that visually still looks a lot like the, the visual vocabulary of, of the movies that we have. But to go way back in time and to do something brand new, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be super interesting. Um, I also think, and, and this I'm reading between the lines in all the news, that James Mangold actually already has a script or at least a, a, a rough draft because they're supposed to start filming this already in, I think, 2024. Now, I'm not entirely certain about this. I think I read that somewhere. But that means if they start production filming in 2024, you bet that pre-production has been going on for quite a while. And the fact that they were bold enough to announce this at Star Wars Celebration in London, they only do that when they know that this is going to work. They, they've learned, I hope, from, from previous announcements where they would be super excited. There's this movie that's, you know, Taika Waititi is working on and then radio silence because Taika Waititi is still struggling with the script and with the hundred other movies that he's working on. And so I, I'm pretty sure that, that the, the script is already there and you have to have that because if you want to start filming in 2024, you have to start casting soon, you know? You have to start building sets very soon. And uh, the only thing that could um, maybe delay this is the current writer strike. But what if the script is already written? And what if they just bet that once they start filming, the writer strike will already be over so they can make like new adjustments and do some writing while, while filming this? Hmm, very, very excited. Of the three movies that have been announced, this is maybe the movie that I'm... I'm most excited about because I want to see this universe expand. And then finally, we have uh, very cool news about the next Star Wars movies. We heard at the Star Wars celebration in London for the first time 
that there was not one, not two, but that there were three new Star Wars movies in the making. But the only thing we didn't know is when are we actually going to be able to see these movies in theater? Um, they didn't reveal that. They didn't talk about that. Well, now we know because uh, Disney has given us three dates for these Star Wars movies. They don't tell us which one comes first. Is it going to be James Mangold's movie about the origins of the Force? Is this going to be the sequel to the last trilogy where we will see Rey trying to build up a new Jedi Academy? Maybe Finn will be back. Maybe Poe Dameron will be back. Who knows? Maybe it's going to be that movie. Um, maybe it's this third project, which we don't know much about all either, you know, uh, but we do have dates. And we also have learned that the first movie was supposed to come out in December of 2025. That was what they were aiming for. So I'm thinking, hmm, first movie in December 25, it means they have to start filming in 2024 because usually these th theatrical releases have more than a year of post-production the only movie that we have heard about uh that they that they're planning on filming in 2024 is james mangold's you know the dawn of the jedi that's a title i'm not sure if that's a an official title but it's definitely a title that is used by the fans you know maybe that's the first movie however that movie that was supposed to be released on December the 19th of 2025 has been postponed, has been pushed forward. And now it will be released on May the 22nd of 2026. Whoa. That's two years from now. It's We have to wait two more years before we get to see the next theatrical movie. In the meantime, there will have been like five or six Marvel movies. Come on, it's not fair. I like superheroes, but Star Wars, <laughs> we need more Star Wars movies in, in theater. No, just kidding. I mean, I'd rather have them taking their time than to deliver something that do doesn't work in, in movie theaters. We Star Wars fans, we know how to wait, except for a few people that always complain about everything, but sure. Dece so May the 22nd, May has always been Star Wars uh, month. So uh, that's cool, 2026. Then, and this was a big surprise, there will be another Star Wars movie in 2026. And that one will be released close to the original date of the first movie, namely December 18th, 2026. So that is pretty stunning to have a second movie in the same year. Now, of course, this is because that first movie was delayed. And I wouldn't be surprised. If it is the James Mangold movie, then it's probably because they want to better be safe than sorry. They know that this writer strike is going on. They are going to start filming in a couple of months from, from now. So they need writers for this. So I, my bet is that they just pushed that one movie forward, but they also wanted to keep the other movies in place because future plans. You know, there's there's so much going on in the Star Wars universe right now that you don't have that much wiggle room anymore with all the, you know, the movies and the, the, the TV shows and video games and all that, you know, animated series. 
Um, I think they just left the second movie where it was originally planned. And then the third movie is going to be one year later. It's going to be released on December 17th, 2027. Oh, what a great time to be alive. To know that they now have dates for these three movies. And let's hope, let's let's pray the maker <laughs> that these movies will not be postponed even more. Anything can happen. It has happened in the past as well that movie uh, movies have been postponed. But, but seriously, I hope they get it right. And I hope that in 2026 and 27, we'll get to see these three theatrical movies movies how excited are you i'd love to hear your thoughts <laughs> catholics rock it's time for a quick visit to the peculiar bunch and this is where you can ask anything about catholics and catholicism Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Or you can ask any question about faith in general. That That's fine with me. I'll try to answer any question. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. The first time that I went to what you could call in hindsight a religious event was when I was 17 years old. And it took place in uh, uh, the French town of Lourdes in the south of France. It was also one of my first big trips. I remember we went by, by bus and it took forever to get there. And I was uh, partaking in my first pilgrimage that I ever had ever done. I was 17 years old and actually I I hadn't been into religion for much time. I my hobbies were Star Wars and model airplanes and trains and and make drawing comics and and reading lots of reading and listening to to radio plays on the BBC and and that that was what my life consisted of. But for about a year I'd been um I'd been rediscovering the faith that I had been handed over by my parents as a child. Uh, I was now in secondary school, and a lot of my classmates were no longer going to church, and uh, there were lots of discussions in school about religion, and and usually that was pretty negative. And I felt like, well, but I actually I don't know how to respond to this. I still go to church. I'm 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 serving as an acolyte, but I don't know anything. I don't know how to respond to all this criticism so what i what did i do i just started reading and i was like oh my gosh why didn't anyone tell me this why didn't anyone teach me this and uh, i was very much self-taught when it comes to catholicism at the time and um and so when i was 17 years old i went on this big uh youth pilgrimage to lourdes and um there were about 50,000 participants from all over the world. It was a bit like World Youth Day, if you've ever seen images of that on TV. Uh, but back then, that, that hadn't been invented yet. Uh, and for me, it was a shocker. It was just so amazing to have so many people of my age that were there for who faith was just part of their lives and very much you know, a positive force. Um, it, it was amazing. Um, to be in this cele- these celebrations. And there was definitely, with the music and the lights and the, the liturgies, it was always like, 
a hundred times bigger and better than what I had ever seen in my life before. The problem was when I came back home, I had this huge, you know, time of blues uh, and, and, and almost like a depression. How am I ever going to go back to school after this? I mean, that's also the trip during which I, I received my vocation. And so I came home knowing 100% certain that God wanted me to, to be a priest. And then I, I had to go back to school. And it was like, man, I still have to go to school for another year before I can go to seminary. How on earth am I going to, to get used to this boring life? And, and, and I, I just wanted to go back to Lourdes and be there forever. But of course you can't. And, and you know what? I, I'm not the only one who experiences this. Jeremy in the, our Discord community was also um, asking about that. He went to a big religious conference and he said, it's like, it's so amazing. And, and you feel the Holy Spirit and you're so excited. And then you come back home and everything is drab and boring and quiet. And how do I deal with that? I feel miserable. <laughs> Can, is there a way to kind of keep that enthusiasm going? And I thought back of my first posts, you know, religious event blues. And I've had this also with non-religious experiences as well. You know that I love going to these fantasy fairs and to Elfia in the Netherlands. And next weekend, I'll be going to Comic-Con uh, in, in, in the Netherlands, not in San Diego. I, I wish I could one day, maybe. But, um, and I know that that's going to be two days of, of geeking out. I love being there. It's different from a fantasy festival where it's mostly outside. This is in a big, you know, uh, like big halls. It's much more akin to the Star Wars celebration, but it's very diverse. There is definitely a lot of Star Wars there, but they're, you know, on stage they interview um, uh, actors from 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 movies, TV series. There are um, comic book um, artists and writers there. It's it's two days, uh, very crowded. Usually, it's super intense. I always meet a ton of people that I know from other festivals. So that too, socially, it's super intense. Um, and then I know that on Monday I'm going to have a hard time. I was like, oh, man. <clears throat> Why can't I have this every day? Because this is, this is, it's like, you know, sometimes when I read The Hobbit, I feel like I, I just want to live there in the Shire. I don't want to live in the Netherlands. Come on. Why don't I migrate to, to Middle Earth, to New Zealand, and just start over there? Well, yeah. You can't. Well, of course, the, the how do I deal with that with that blues? Um, I can only speak from my own uh, experience. Uh, one of the things that I do when I uh, have experienced super intense days, um, first of all, I I put in some extra. I I put in extra work in taking good care of myself. So um, usually I'm a bit sleep deprived after a, a couple of days like that. Uh, so I, I make sure that I get my sleep. I eat at regular times. I try to eat healthy. Sometimes I will even, you know, especially if I've been to a festival, I try to replicate the food that I had at the festival. So I'll just Google, how can I make my own, uh, my own festival food? And so 
that is a way for me to still enjoy a little bit of what I the smells at least and the tastes of of uh, that I experienced during those days, um, and I I make sure I go outside. I go for a bike ride. I, I don't want to sit inside my house or behind a computer just feeling miserable. So just getting some fresh air, going for a, for a walk in the woods, that helps. Connect with friends. Just you know connect online or uh, maybe I'll, I'll I'll share photos in the discord community which is or maybe I'll go online and play a video game and chat with friends um, that also is is usually uh, very very helpful if you're struggling with post festival blues um, and then I I, I often uh, either I write down what I'm thankful for things encounters that I've had or insights I, I just do a lot of journaling after intense days like that and sometimes i'll just go and edit video footage uh or i'll 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 go through my photos and i'll i'll try to pick the best and uh, do some some photoshopping uh, to improve them and that too is a way to remind myself of the wonderful times that i've had there um and it makes me grateful and thankful and and that in itself can become a prayer actually it's the best prayer of all the prayers that you can pray a prayer of gratitude is is the best form of prayer because it it's it's giving back to God what He has gifted you, and so you're not complaining, you're not asking for stuff, you're not, uh, it's not an intellectual thing. It's just like no, thank you. That was amazing. I, re- I remember meeting this person, had this conversation. Thank you, God, for having brought me those friends. Thank you for what I've experienced there, and that. Prayer of gratitude also helps you to relive those moments, but to add the dimension of of gratitude to it, which makes those memories even more precious and makes you feel happy because you realize how much you've received in such a short time. And all for naught. It's not that you deserved it. it you just got it. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. Packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I am. Um, I feel like I'm running behind a train that has already departed. I am uh, trying to catch up with my reading goals for 2023. This year, I wanted to read uh, 150 books, um, and I I was nine books behind last week. Um, however, now I'm only seven books behind, <laughs> so I've done a lot of reading lately. Um, and in the past couple of days, I've read four books. I, I'm I hope that in two weeks from now I'll be all caught up again. Um, but let me briefly talk about the books that I read this past week. First book that I read is called The Wim Hof Method. Wim Hof is a 60-something-year-old guy who raised to fame on Dutch TV because of his YouTube videos showing him taking ice baths, showing him climbing huge mountains like Mount Everest in just shorts, not even wearing a shirt. Um, <laughs> and, and, and people were asking, is, is, is this just a freak of nature? Is this a superhuman? And uh, he's been doing this ever since he was a student. And um, when he was interviewed and followed by these journalists, he kept saying, this is something that anyone can do. You can learn how to do this. And it involves two basic 
things that you need to do every day. First one is breathing. Just breathe. And he has some breathing techniques that can help you uh, over time to improve your overall um, efficiency to use oxygen. For me as a runner, that is something that I strive to become better at, to better use the available oxygen. The more my body can use the oxygen that is there, the faster I'll be able to run, the longer I'll be able to run. And I've seen my Apple Watch is, is, is taking uh, these, these daily samples of what my current fitness is. And I've checked my overall, uh, what is it, VO2 factor or whatever it is. So the, the efficiency uh, of my body using um, oxygen and it's been on a steady rise ever since I started training for my next marathon. So that's encouraging. And I notice it also. Like this morning, I was, I was, we had to run uphill. I'm, we're doing this training. And then one of my fellow runners in the group said, I cannot believe the difference between you last year and you this year. And he said, I remember that we were running the same hill and you would completely crash. You would be completely out of breath. Um, and uh, you would have, you had such a hard time getting up these hills. And now you run faster than I do. You just run and then you're not even out of breath. Um, and so I, I was like, this is, this is working. And so the breathing techniques, um, you can Google this. He has these YouTube videos where he, it's like guided breathing. Um, and it also involves, so it, it's basically breathing in and breathing out for twen 20 times. And it's like these very deep belly breathing in where your, your whole belly expands and, and then you breathe out. And immediately you breathe in again, breathe out for 20 times. And then the last time you breathe out, you don't breathe in anymore and you try to hold your breath for 30 seconds. And then in the next round, for one minute, and then the final round for one minute and a half. And, and then, and that's hard, of course, because your body at certain moments starts to like trigger this re reflex that you want to breathe in. Um, and then you do one, you breathe in one at uh, one time, and then you hold your breath for 15 seconds, and then you repeat that. I do this every morning now. And I can already tell um, that it's helping that it is, uh, it's strangely energizing. The second thing that he, um, that he proposes is these, uh, the, basically the exposure to cold. And it, that can, it can be in many different ways. Uh, but he has discovered that if you, um, if you train yourself to take cold showers or ice baths, over time, you can actually learn to heat up your own body and to withstand cold, even to a degree that is pretty astonishing. And at first, um, especially scientists and doctors were very concerned. They were like, you're going to kill yourself. And especially if you would go up a mountain like with, with other people, you're going to kill all these other people. And he said, no, no, because I, I know how I can help them to warm up their own bodies. It seems almost like, like um, something a guru would sell, like, I don't know, just snake oil. The thing is, he has been followed by 
scientists, by doctors. They've been measuring what happened to his body, and they are concluding with him that actually this works. This is this is um, pretty amazing. But you can, with of course proper guidance and proper exercise, go way beyond what we thought was possible. And so his. Uh, um, advice is to take cold showers to build that up gradually over the course of a week so first of all like at the end of taking a shower you turn the the water to cold and you try to do that for 10 seconds it's it's gruesome it's really brutal you're like <gasps> you start to hyperventilate it's like oh, oh i can't believe it and then the next day you do it for 20 seconds and so on and so forth i'm now at the t- at the point where i can stay i i just take a cold shower for two minutes. I don't usually take uh, showers that last longer than two minutes. And for two minutes, I'm standing in ice cold water and it. I don't shiver. I don't feel cold. It, it's very refreshing, literally. But it's also, after a while, uh, after about 30 seconds, my body seems feels warm, almost as if it's heating up instead of cooling down. And when I step out of the shower, I'm... I'm I can take on the world. I'm so ener- energized. So it's, there is also in this book a lot of stuff that is not scientifically proven or researched, and that is a little bit, you know, wonky. And he, I mean, Wim Hof is, he used to be a squatter when he was young, and, and he still is a bit like, a, like an old hippie. So he's got these theories about healing genetic trauma and he's got all these things where i'm like sure yeah well mm, i'm not so sure about that what but what i do know from experience is that these breathing techniques and this exposure to cold is definitely making a change and those two aspects of his method have been researched and you know scientists agree this is this this works so interesting stuff you can you can look him up on 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 youtube and and see for yourself a second book that i read this past week is written by Bianca Toops. Uh, Bianca Toops is a Dutch writer. She actually went to the same secondary school as I did, uh, which I discovered while reading her book. And uh, the title of her book is But You Don't Look Autistic at All. This is uh, her autobiography of living a life, most of her life, um, not having been diagnosed with autism because of all the kind of preconceived ideas that people have about autism and that she had herself. You know, people hear autism, they think of Rain Man. Oh, isn't this these people that are like hyper-focused and they're brilliant, but they are totally socially uh, inept and everything. Um, Of course, all that is, that's what you see in the movies. But autism is a spectrum has many different degrees. I my nephew Ezra has autism, and um, he definitely uh, has some amazing gifts. But he also can be very quiet. You know, when I'm there, he loves to sit next to me, but he doesn't say a word. He doesn't talk. He's just staring at his phone. And it's only later on that you realize that he's been listening all the time. He he is a master in Minecraft and Roblox. So he builds these houses and castles, and he's so good at that. He can he can visualize like an entire building in his mind and then build it exactly the way he has built it in his mind. I don't know how that works. But anyway, being autistic also comes with a lot of uh, challenges 
for the child or for the adult, um, and also for the people around that person. Because oftentimes people don't understand how how life works for someone who is on the spectrum. And this book has opened my eyes in many ways. I've already had read a little bit about autism here and there, and I, I, I listened to some podcasts with this, this book. And reading this in the first perspective of someone who has only been diagnosed with autism at a very late stage in her life, and then reading about what she had to deal with and how how when when people were trying to help her how that unintentionally caused even more problems to occur and how she ultimately found strategies and 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 ways to to accept herself as she is to deal with this and to also stop masking which is something that aut- aut- people with autism do a lot where they feel like they have to behave like anyone else However, that is costing them so much energy because they constantly have to basically be someone that they are not. And so to read that and and to realize that, whoa, wait a minute, so it really matters how you you interact with people on the spectrum and and to to read all these stories from... It, it, it helped me a lot to 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 know what I have to do when I when I'm uh, dealing with with people that are on the spectrum. Um, a wonderful book, also funny, very funny at times. Uh, it's it's uh, the original book is in in Dutch and it's been translated in in English. So the English title is "But You Don't Look Autistic at All." If you um, have people with autism in your uh, in in your own work or family circle, or even if you maybe you're, you you too may be an undiagnosed person with autism. If you have ever wondered, you know, is that could that be the case? This book, I think, could open your eyes and could really uh, help you to maybe understand yourself or understand someone you know that is uh, uh, that is dealing with autism. The third book I read this past week is called Churchill, and it's written by Andrew Mulholland. It's one of these books that I read, that I love to read when I'm behind on my reading list, because the audiobook is, um, officially it should be one hour long. This book was two hours long, but I didn't mind because it was amazing. It tells the story of Churchill from his early days as a writer, and then his uh, whole career in politics until his death. And I wanted to read this book because I had just seen uh, Darkest Hour, uh, about a very small portion of Churchill's life. And I just wanted to know what happened next and what happened before. And this book was very well written, very entertaining, and made me appreciate the movie even more. The final book that I read this past week is by uh, one of my favorite uh, horror and, and, and fiction and science fiction authors, Stephen King. The book is called Later. It tells a story about a boy who is able to see dead people, but not like the boy in the sixth sense, a movie that is actually known in, in the story by the main character. He's like, no, it's not like that movie. But he sees dead people and he's able to talk with them for the first few hours after they have died. And so he can ask them questions. Which then becomes very important, not only for himself, but also for his mother, because he is able to extract something super important from someone who died 
basically with, with a big untold story. And then later on, this ability also gets him in trouble because dealing with the afterlife and dealing with, you know, people that are no longer here can also trigger things from this other dimension and uh, it gets all very creepy and very scary. Um, so a, a great read. It's not a big book. That's also why I read it. A lot of the King uh, Stephen King books are like uh, a couple of thousand pages. It takes 24 hours to, to listen to the audiobook. This, this was a, a relatively quick read, but a very entertaining one. I, I read it while I was uh, tending to my garden. <laughs> we are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. All right, let's talk about the Reddit controversy. Now, Reddit, of course, is um, is well known by many of you. It's, it's a huge platform where you can find subreddits, communities you could say around uh, all sorts of topics it's it's hard to find a topic that is not covered by one of the subreddits it's also a great place if you um, are for instance a star wars fan or uh, or you love astronomy or you're an apple fan to just get the latest news to get some expert advice to ask questions it is a treasure trove of knowledge and it is very much what it is thanks to the users because this is the platform itself is not that spectacular it's just basically a forum it's a bit like what discord does but discord isn't isn't searchable and isn't open because you know you can you can have you have all these 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 closed discord communities um, and discord is more for communication and this is definitely much more about sharing sharing links uh, sharing opinions so reddit has been around for a more than a decade now, and it is just full of so much knowledge and so much entertainment as well. It's just a great place to go um, if you have um, uh, uh, you're you're traveling by train or on the air airplane and you have Wi-Fi, then you know you don't know what to do. You can always go to Reddit and just start reading. There's just so much. It's so interesting. Um, however, Reddit, the company behind Reddit now wants to go public with the company. They want to sell shares and make a lot of money. And so the current CEO of Reddit has said, um, yeah, it's actually, we're kind of done with all the free stuff. Uh, we are going to charge for uh, the use of our API. Now, an API, I'm not a technical person, but what I understand is uh, the API is basically what they offer to third-party developers, it's a way to connect with the system. So you can do queries. You can say, um, I want to have like the last 100 posts about Star Wars. And just show me that in reverse chronological order or something like that. Um, this is very common. Twitter used to have an API. Instagram used to have an API. And when uh, all those companies wanted to make more money, the first thing they stopped doing was to offer the API for free. Because, of course, uh, if someone does a query, your computers, your servers need to get to work and deliver that data. 
For Reddit, however, this was super important because since this is so much user-fed, um, you want these users to just have a lot of fun using the platform and, and, and uh, using whatever tool works for them to fill the, the Reddit communities with content. And the issue is that Reddit is, of course, a website that you can go to, but there is also an app, there's an official app, and it's terrible, has always been terrible, and it's still really primitive and limited. So a lot of uh, Redditors, it's called editors that are writing for Reddit, uh, were using third-party apps that needed that API to function. And one of the most popular ones was Apollo, uh, which I've installed on all my mobile devices. So Apollo, since that was way more popular than the official app, generated a lot of API calls. And now the CEO has said, um, yeah, Apollo is going to have to pay for this. Anyone who uses our API is going to have to pay. And um, the uh, creator of Apollo had calculated that would, that would cost him like 20 million per month or something like that. It's like, there's no way that I, I'm able to afford that. And so he protested, um, but the CEO didn't want to budge, actually also went public uh, attacking the, the guy who made Apollo, attacking the people that were complaining. And the thing is, the, <laughs> the creator of, of the Apollo app said, I, I'm going to stop. And then all the Redditors got upset because they were using Apollo to moderate the forums and to to write their posts and everything. And they didn't want to go to the website or to use the official app. So a lot of them were outraged. like, how dare you? This platform exists because of how we as volunteers keep filling it with all this valuable content. And now you're going to make money. And because of that, we're losing our favorite app. So a lot of these communities went dark. They closed their, their forums and nobody could access them anymore. And then the CEO went public and he started attacking the, 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 the Redditors. He started attacking the users. And, and his story is changing every day almost. And now he's saying, yeah, it's because all these big companies are using our API to scrape Reddit for their AI uh, projects. And I don't make any money on that. And we really have to, no, we're not going to budge. And, and so this is an ongoing drama. And the tone of voice that he uses is very similar to what Elon Musk did to Twitter. And he, he fails to understand that if you lose the goodwill of your biggest fans, you may actually lose everything because people can move. It's, it's what's happening, still happening to Twitter. A lot of people are getting off Twitter and they're moving to Mastodon or to Blue Sky or there's a lot of alternatives. Instagram is working on an alternative for Twitter. I think if, if, if Meta goes live with that Twitter clone on Instagram, that may be the final nail in the coffin of Twitter, actually. And now Reddit is following the same, the same uh, playbook, and I think it's a mistake. I think it's a really bad mistake um, because, uh, and he keeps saying, oh, it's just 20% of the forums that are now on dark, uh, the subreddits. And this will, this will blow over, you know, they will just go away and we'll be fine, which is an insult because you don't take the criticism, the legitimate criticism of people seriously. So you're basically insulting 
your your best contributors. I don't think this is going to end well. I've got a very bad feeling about this. So where do people go? Ah, that's the big question, of course. Reddit is so big. It's like Twitter. You know, where do you go? Nothing compares to what Twitter has to offer. And yet, the more the more people are leaving Twitter, the more these alternatives will start to mature. Twitter in its early days was really bad. And it only became what it is now after years and years of development. And I think the same can happen to to whatever is going to be the successor for Reddit. So there are a few things that I'm currently trying out. Lemmy, um, which is part of the Fediverse. Um, you can go to join-lemmy with a y.org. Squabbles.io, S-Q-U-A-B-B-L-E-S dot I-O. And keybin.pubs, it's K-B-I-N dot P-U-B. That's also tied into the Fediverse. None of these um, platforms feel like Reddit in the sense that it's it's especially the ones that are tied into the Fediverse. It's the same thing. You have to choose a server. It's all the um, the kind of the threshold, the, the, the entry-level problems that Mastodon has and or had and still has to a certain extent also are true for Lemmy and for Kbin. Squabbles is, I think, more uh, of a centralized experience. So maybe that will be where everybody goes. But um, I'm definitely going to try them out. I'm always in for alternatives. It's not that I'm a big Reddit user, but um, I, I, I think competition is very good. These big, monolithic social platforms that ultimately are in it for the money, and you are actually the value you're selling your own data and your contributions but you don't get revenue from that uh, I think that's that's bad for 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 the debate it's bad for 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 mankind so the more the merrier let's see where this uh, will go and if you have your favorite reddit alternative that you're enthusiastic about enthusiastic about let me know because um, I always go where my where my followers go all right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode again. Big thank you to my patrons. If you want to join them for as little as 250 per month, if you can miss that, you can buy me a cup of tea. <laughs> I don't even think you can get a cup of coffee for 250, but a cup of tea once every month. I'll keep doing these podcasts and providing you with videos on my YouTube channel and TikToks. In exchange, you, you help me pay the bills and eat something every once in a while. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. May the force be with you. And God bless. Live long and prosper.